0: off your device. That's soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
1: In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. We have a great guest today, Todd Crandall. He is founder of Racing for Recovery. He's done over 100 triathlons and is an elite athlete, and he also stars in the documentary Pure Euphoria. He is going to talk about his story about overcoming his addiction, but really talking about how to thrive in your life and how we can overcome our traumas, overcome our hurts, overcome our pains. Just a really inspiring interview. I I hope you get out of it as much as I did. And we're going to talk about all of it. We're even going to talk about veganism and the importance of treating our planet with care and compassion. So we go kind of all over the place. But I really think this is an inspiring interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. And if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, you get a lot out of this episode. Please leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That really does help people find the Addicted Mind. And you can even share one of these episodes with a friend. If this is a powerful episode to you, share it. Let them know about it. And follow us on Instagram at Addicted Mind Podcast. All right, everyone. Stay tuned for this episode. All right, Todd. Welcome to the Addicted Mind Podcast. Just to introduce you a little bit, you have completed over 30 triathlons. You've written several books. You have your avid veganism and nutrition and health. You're a, I would call, I think, like an elite athlete. And you're also in recovery and you've also survived some really difficult trauma. And so I Todd, I'm excited to talk with you because your story is just powerful. It's inspiring. It inspired me. And let's let's just jump in. You want to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, and we'll start there.
2: Okay. I am well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I love the life that I have. If it wasn't for the media, racing for recovery would not have even gotten started. So I appreciate folks like you who are putting This story out there. You know, look, I'm a survivor of my mom's suicide from drugs, my uncle's suicide from drugs, my aunt's suicide from food. I'm a survivor of my own choice to use drugs and alcohol, and now I am a thriver in life. And that's what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to share the Racing for Recovery program that I started in 2001 to help everybody who's been affected by addiction. And I'm looking for you to ask me some very tough questions today.
0: All right. Well, we're going to jump in and we're going to do that. I I think your story is inspiring, as I was saying earlier. So let's just kind of jump in the beginning. And you started your own addiction. Can you tell us a little bit about how that started and what happened so we have some context and we we understand how you are where you are now?
2: Well, let's talk about a stereotype that a lot of people even have with the title of your awesome broadcast and what people think when they think of drug and alcohol addiction, right? If somebody has a drug or alcohol problem, immediately they think, go to rehab for 30 days. And it's usually that number, 30 days, and you're going to come out and everything's going to be okay. And that flat out is not what addiction is and what sobriety is. Not at all. Not at all, right? So for me when to talk about how I got into addiction, we have to talk about the impact of trauma and trauma yes. is relative to the individual, right? So as a young kid, I never grew up thinking, "Oh, my mom killed herself, you know, poor me." It it wasn't like that. However, Losing a parent at three and a half years of age, I felt differently and I didn't understand the, where those feelings were originating from. I just knew I didn't feel right. And when I say I didn't feel right, I mean, I didn't feel I belonged. I didn't feel a part of. I felt like an outcast, like I was different. I just, I didn't feel right. And, Thankfully, hockey at the time was my saving grace, but I made an unfortunate choice to try alcohol when I was 13 years of age. And that's where I think genetic predisposition to addiction comes into play. And I was off and running for the next 13 years.
0: Wow. So I I like what you're talking about in the sense that, that feeling of feeling different, feeling something's wrong. You maybe can't in in, the in the moment when you're back then, when you're 13 years old, can't put your finger on it, but you know, you feel bad.
2: Good, good word. I, I did feel bad. I felt even I started having suicidal ideation at at a very young age, just thinking I wasn't going to be here. And that I look back at that as I'm speaking to you now as a 56-year-old man. I have four kids of my own. And if I knew they were feeling the way that I did, I would be devastated. And that's not to put criticism on my parents. My parents were awesome. They did everything they could for me. But this is back in the early 70s when we weren't aware of some of these things.
0: Absolutely. And,
2: and I think addiction stems from a lack of belonging, a lack of truly loving self, that yeah—is where addiction start. And it certainly was for me as well.
0: Wow. So it started to take off at 13. And it started on this road. And what I want to get to a little bit is, I, I think when people listen to this podcast, I know for me, you know, there's this moment of change where you realize, like, I've got to do something different. And I want to get to that part of the story because I think that's inspiring to people because when people are struggling in addiction and they all hope is lost and they feel like there's no ability to change and they see someone else who's done that change, it's like, how did that happen? Like, how did they do it? What was the moment that said, this has got to be different?
2: I love that you're kind of asking me to skip over all the glory details of my addiction because that's one thing I get a little bored with talking about but i i do want to say this to to qualify in that category and i and then i'll get to your question which i think is brilliant when i first took that first sip of alcohol i didn't get drunk but i knew instinctively and i think that's where this chemical predisposition comes into play i knew that i was heading down a a not so good path i just didn't know the devastation it was going to cause. The reason I'm talking about this is the second time I ever drank, I I consumed an entire bottle of Jack Daniels whiskey and I took speed with it. So right there, that shows how quickly this stuff progressed. I was yeah. never a casual partier. It was full on self-destruction. And just so the audience knows, I did every drug out there and as much of it as I could. So let's just leave it at that. To get to your question, it was pretty much right away or within the first year of being addicted that the mindset changed from, I don't feel like I am really need to be here to I don't want to be here and I felt destined to end up the way my mom did. Wow. Specifically. And, and that that's how it was. It was when I and that's, woke that's
0: up. That's really dark. I mean, that's like, you know, you're already looking at, at that moment, your future, like, this is where, this is where I'm going. And you couldn't and see anything different.
2: That's at 14 and 15 years oh. of age. So I just accepted the fact that I made this choice. I was in it. And I was just going to end up the way my mom did. So my days were waking up being mad that I woke up, and then trying to figure out how to do so much that I wouldn't wake up. And I lived that way for a long time. Now is the part to answer your question. I didn't think I was good enough for sobriety. I didn't think I deserved it. I didn't think I was good enough for an education, or a faith in God, any of it. But I do believe on April 15th of 1993, when I got arrested for my third drunk driving charge, that God or whoever you want to talk about it. And my mom just gave me this moment of clarity where I said, that's it. I'm done. It it was that simple. I was like, this is over. I'm putting it down. I am no longer an addict. I am going to rebuild my life. And I've been doing that for over three decades now. And it literally was that simple of a decision.
0: It was that moment in time the the all that coming together where you made that decision you said i'm changing this this is not my destiny anymore
2: well said perfectly said that's exactly what i did
0: wow so let's talk from there right because from there you've got to do something right you've got to, <laughs> you got you know it's like you can make the decision right but if you don't start putting that decision into action you're probably not gonna go anywhere. That would be my guess.
2: You're absolutely right. We have on the back of some of our racing for recovery t-shirts it says choice and action.
0: Oh I because love that I, I made a
2: I made a cognizant choice to stop and a lot of people will think okay, you quit so everything should be okay And again that's a misnomer. The choice for me to stop was the catalyst to figure out why I initially started. On a clinical, psychological, and emotional level, that is the the question to ask. And then getting the education and the experience to answer the question, then apply action into doing anything I wanted to do in sobriety. And that is my whole point of being on your show here today is to show people with sobriety anything is possible but it takes work nobody handed me this awesome life that i've earned over 3 decades i've worked my my tail off for it but it it hasn't really been work it's been beautiful yeah. because i'm alive
0: yeah yeah i, I love that and an understanding like that to get this you you have to put in the effort and it's it's freaking hard right cuz you got to dig in deep into your soul into what you were talking about that 13 year old that 14 year old kid what he was experiencing and you you have to dig in there and most of the time that's what we're running from right we're we're running from that like i gotta find something i can't go there i can't do it i it's it's too painful it's too much
2: well god i love talking to you this is what makes like i've done 111 ironman triathlons so I use that, it's a metaphor for me, because a lot of times people say, oh, well, you just traded one addiction to the other. And I'm like, no, I'm not addicted to Ironman. I enjoy running in general, and I enjoy the marketing aspect of doing Ironmans that helps me market the racing for recovery message. But specifically, I think of what it takes to do one Ironman, the discipline, the dedication, the perseverance, overcoming adversity times 111. That, that is metaphorically what people have to do in recovery. Just because you were sober yesterday doesn't automatically mean that today is going to be some easy cake ride. It does give you an opportunity to make a choice to stay sober and then make the effort in that sobriety. And these are some of the parallels that Ironman has done for me that then I can equate to people going through this.
0: You, you talked about in, in your documentary, what kind of really stuck to me was you said, there's, there's this pain, the pain in, you know, doing a a, a triathlon. There's this physical pain that in that moment, you know, and I, I've, I've run a few, I've run a half marathon. I haven't done a triathlon, but I've done a half marathon and that it's, it's painful, right? It's, and I I want to Understand that message that you're saying about that, that pain that you feel in the moment of conquering something, you know, difficult, doing something difficult and the, and the psychological pain of trauma and how those two come together and how we can use this to to, I guess, transcend it, overcome it. I don't know what the language is for that, but I think you get what I'm saying.
2: Those are good words. So, congratulations on your half marathon. And I'll Thank turn you. it. I'll put the focus on you for a minute because it's relative. I'm sure you remember getting to, let's say, well, let's start at the beginning. You, when you're first running, you're like, "Oh my God, this is great! Right. I'm running a half marathon. I've trained my butt off to get here, and it's fun." And then mile ten comes, and you're like, "Oh my God, this is terrible! Yeah. I'm never doing this again." However, by keeping going. You get to that finish line, and it's a euphoric experience, right?
0: It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it, it is the hard. It for me, it was the hardest thing to do. I mean, like like you said, mile ten, and I'm like, what did I sign up for? But for some reason, I just kept going. I just kept going because I could see. I guess, like you're saying, I could see the finish line. It wasn't totally far away. It wasn't right there. But, you know, yeah, I I get that. I totally understand that.
2: And that's applicable to sobriety. And I'll even let's put it to the people who are out there, uh, unfortunately, still using drugs. I'm going to use some some humor in a very delicate situation. If I had to walk 13 miles to get my drugs for the day, I'd have been out there walking. Yeah and I would have be been walking with gusto and vigor and tenacity and all that stuff. When we take that same effort into self-destruction and we can put it into self-betterment, we're going to get the reward. Yeah. It's a much greater reward to finish a half marathon than it is to wake up once again suicidal and hung over and out of money and all that stuff. And the the mind is such a powerful thing both in a negative perspective and a positive one. So these, again, these parallels of the further you go, the greater the reward. And that's what I'm talking about with the this pain analogy. The emotional pain of, of people dealing with, oh my God, with being sexually abused or physically assaulted or divorce. It is hard. But when you can jump in there and say, you know what, I'm going to embrace this stuff. I'm going to understand the impact it had on me. And then by God, I'm going to make a change and make an effort to begin to heal from this. Now, notice I didn't say get over. I said, yeah, survive it and then be able to thrive in it. Two totally different mindsets.
0: Yeah. And starting to create that mindset as you can start to make that shift. I think as you do these things in your life, you start to, you begin to see it. It does change. It, it, your mindset changes.
2: Just like right now, I know somebody's going to hear this and they're, they're probably going to be like, oh my God, that dude ran 111 Ironmans. I could never do that. Or they may be like, wow, if he did that, I can do that. That's what I want from people. I want them to not only look at the physical things that I've done, but how does that equate to, I want to go get an education. You know, I used to play guitar, but drugs kind of prevented me from doing that for a while. I'm going to go pick up the guitar again and start creating some new music. Or I was an avid baseball player and I ruined that chance, but now I'm going to coach Little League. There's always something that we can go back to that was good Prior to addiction, and even sometimes in addiction, like exercise was for me, and use it for a catalyst to self better in other areas, spiritually, nutritionally, um, educationally, socially. We always can have room to not only improve, but to then share that to inspire somebody else.
0: Yeah. And as you're talking, I, I could totally recognize if someone's out there listening and they're hearing your story, they don't see that moment when you had your third DUI and the next maybe month or the next two months. They don't see that part of it. They see, oh, you had a DUI and now you're running all these triathlons. But I, I want to go back a little bit more and explore this a little bit deeper. Is it's those, you know, those first six months of someone saying, I've made the decision to change. I mean, that's like the most critical time, I think. And I want to talk about that piece because I think people, you know, when they hear these stories, like your story, it's inspiring, but it can also be like disheartening in another way. Like you said, it could be like, I don't know if I can do it. I can't, I they got to the top of Mount Everest. I, there's no way I'm getting to the top of Mount Everest. That's crazy. Right. But there's that three months moment. And I want to, I want to dig into that a little bit deeper.
2: You know, Again, I really love the questions you're asking me. They're not the, the cliché things I usually get. There's that cliché statement, right? you know, a, a single step leads to 10,000 or whatever that is. That's true. So I want to talk about the day one when I quit drinking. I was, I had been on a four or five day bender of doing whatever and was basically in a blackout. But here's what I remember definitively like it was yesterday. I remember listening to Bon Jovi's Bed of Roses song uh-huh. sitting in my grandma's house and I was drinking a beer. I think it was either a Heineken or a, a moose head. And I I put it down. I set it on my counter with all my CDs. I'm going old school for a moment. I, I called my grandma in the room and I said, I'm done. This is over. So at that moment in my life, I was I had three DUIs. I had no job, no money. Everybody was gone from my life but my grandma. I had to go to jail because of the DUI. No credit. I had nothing. But it was one of the best days of my life. And th- wow. this is what we're talking about. That moment of just being relieved that this addiction was over. I was physically sick. I was mentally disturbed, if you will, emotionally broken. But I was crystal clear on I'm going to get better. And I did it that first day. I had to do 30 days in jail. I did it while I was pushing a broom and work release, thinking I'm not going to have to do this the rest of my life. I was going to meetings. I was starting to, to physically exercise, spiritually get inclined. It was every day was a golden opportunity to get better than the last one. And those 30 days or those six months have led to now the life that I had because, or I have today. I have heard a lot of times from people that they'll say, Todd, I can't relate to you because you're, you're so far out there. And uh, you know, a couple of people have said, you're, it's like, you're on the moon by yourself. And I'll say, well, you know, there's been several astronauts that have made it to the moon, but if you don't go to astronaut, astronaut camp, astronaut camp or whatever, you're, you're never going to get there. And it may sound like a, a crazy analogy but it's true we have to start somewhere and as long as you keep going eventually you're going to hit the goal that you set out for yourself on day 1 and that's all i've done
0: yeah that's a, it's a step like yeah i know that's a cliche step by step but that that is true you also said something that really kind of struck me as you were just talking you know you had mentioned earlier in the podcast about community and the formation of community and you said you told your grandma I mean, it's almost like to me, like that's the first step of community. Like you reached out, you told someone else. And I also thought, I thought, wow, that's really powerful too. Like you, you told somebody, you said something to somebody and you made it like, you made it real in the universe. I don't know. I, maybe I'm making that up and maybe I'm getting a little off base, yeah. but.
2: You're, you're right on brother. I love that. Putting it out to the universe. I'm a subscriber to that. And it's interesting because you, you're the first person that's said it to me like that. And I'm like, I wasn't cognizant of that, but subconsciously I was. And as we both know, the subconscious mind is the powerful mind. So I, and I believe every person who is battling addiction is a hurting, kind soul. And subconsciously we are desperate to have that kindness come out. The problem is consciously it's buried in all this negativity. So for me to stop using and proclaim that to my grandma, I believe to me was my three and a half year old kid saying, I am a value and I'm going to yeah. show you how much I'm worth. And I want to take this a step further. Racing for recovery is the first program that ever combined everybody affected by addiction. And I'm going to go back to my grandma If my grandma was just going to an Al-Anon meeting, which God love their effort, all she would be hearing is you need to abandon Todd, let him fall, all that stuff. I just don't believe in that. If it wasn't for my grandma, I wouldn't have made it. So by me claiming that this was over, I was showing her you're going to get your grandson not only back, but better than ever. And I want you to be a part of my journey because you're a part of the journey. I yeah. don't believe in why would we separate family along on this journey? We have to bring everybody together so both sides can understand each other, right?
0: I totally agree with that hundred percent. And that's just compassionate. And you know, that goes into like what you're doing with like racing for recovery. I mean, that is about community. It's like not everybody may have a grandma. But there are people out there who can care for you and love you, even if you're in your darkest moment. I mean, oh, my gosh, you just if you're if you're in, you know, the space of, of wellness and community and you you find that, you know, you're unlovable. You think you're unlovable in the beginning. And then you find like, wow, people can love me. I mean, I am lovable. I mean, it's like it's crazy, but you create community. Like you bond over like what you're doing. I mean, it's, I love it.
2: I have, I'm down here in, in lovely Memphis, Tennessee to do, um, Ironman Memphis on Saturday. And I have three coworkers with me. Cause I love taking my coworkers to show them how racing for recovery got started. And it was through me doing the Ironman. But one of my coworkers, Shane was a client of racing for recoveries and he bought into what we're doing with both feet and now he's going to do his fourth Ironman with me as an employee of Racing for Recovery. Oh,
0: that's amazing.
2: So for me, it's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm passing the torch to this young kid who, you know, when we're out there racing together, I'm like, oh my God, I remember what it was like to be that young and stuff. But it's, to me, there was a couple people close to me that when I put Racing for Recovery together, I was a Ironically, I was a pharmaceutical sales representative. you know, I was making good money. I was the salesman salesman guy, but I was unhappy. And when I started racing for recovery, there was no money. I mean I went yeah. through bankruptcies and everything and they kept saying, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, I'm giving back because this is my life's purpose. it's It's not about money. It's about helping someone else get what I'm fortunate enough to have and i get to witness that with people every day it's it's beautiful
0: that's that i love that it's amazing to see that i mean it just like you said it enriches your life it enriches their life it's just like that it just creates this positive feedback cycle that everybody grows and i was thinking too as you were talking about racing for recovery i'm just imagining you know that half marathon and how painful that was for me, but like, you know, bonding over the pain of training, the pain of doing this, the, you know, it's like, it's just, to me, it's like, what a synergy that, that is like when you're training together and you're doing that work together. I mean, I I imagine it creates some pretty powerful bonds for people.
2: Oh, it's everything. And it's not only the physical stuff that we do at racing for recovery. We have, you know, we have two gyms, but we have our own vegan chef. We have, Twenty four, I think, licensed clinicians on staff that are are working with the hardships of going through emotional therapeutic counseling sessions. So this synergy of physical, nutritional, spiritual, psychological effort with community is what makes a successful community. So when you're you're eating right, you're more inclined to physically move that then you're more inclined to educationally and spiritually improve and that's why the whole thing just works together it's like the the hub of a bicycle tire the hub is sobriety but all those spokes are what keep that wheel running in a in a smooth consistent manner
0: yeah, absolutely. You ha- you have to have all that. So I want I want to switch gears a little bit here, and I want to talk about the veganism. I'm curious about that and how that became part of this process for you and nutrition and doing all of all of that piece. I just want to touch on that a little bit because I'm interested.
2: Well, quitting drugs and alcohol on April fifteenth of 1993 gave me the the ability to be excuse me, open-minded to, to learn and improve as a human being. And on February 1st of 2016, I started watching a couple of movies. I wasn't even looking for them. I think it was knives over forks over knives on Netflix. Yeah. And I watched it and then I started learning about what we're doing to the animals, what we're doing to our bodies, what we're doing to our environment. And I'm like, I I don't want to be a part of this. And it was almost like another sobriety date for me where I watched the next movie and the next movie and I started learning and implementing this. And I think I, let's see, I'm 56. So I went vegan at 49. I feel like I'm 26 again and newly sober on an energetic, intellectual, emotional and spiritual level. I gained just like another gear. And people ask me all the time, like, where do you get your energy from at 56? And I'm like, it's what I eat and what I don't eat. Right. You know, And, and I've written a book called do no harm.
0: I was just about to ask you about that. Yeah. It's, Discovering the truth and power behind a compassionate lifestyle.
2: Yep. It is 550 pages of full on facts about what we're doing. With murdering billions of animals each year it's it's horrific, and with all due respect i'm not trying to offend anybody, but I could care less about anybody's opinion i don't care about your opinion let 's talk facts about this because you can't dispute the health facts, the environmental facts, and like I said, the murdering of billions of animals those are facts, and it's just not necessary one one more thing on that the top ten health issues that are killing hundreds of thousands of people can be reversed with eating plants or prevented from eating plants. And that's the stuff I just want people to understand.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I think that totally makes sense. And there, there's just that word about compassionate lifestyle. I think we have to look at ourselves and the impact, not only we have on other human beings, but what we have on the planet as, as our existence is here, we have a responsibility to take care of that and understand it and and look deeper at it to, to really understand and question ourselves. And I think that's what, you know, if you look at recovery, look at getting healthy, that's what it's all about, right? At the end of the day, it's about asking these hard questions and looking at this stuff. So I can totally understand that.
2: You know, if you ask people, Would you like to end world hunger? Most people are going to say, yes, I do. I don't think there's many people out there that says, I want people and little kids to starve to death. If we went plant-based, we would end world hunger. It takes 600 gallons of water to make one cheeseburger. Yep. Okay. I mean, 30,000 miles of the rivers in the United States are ruined beyond repair because of pig manure. Yeah. So. These are the things that we're doing senselessly that we don't have to do anymore. I think of back in the day of of grandparents where they'd take their kid and go to some beautiful river and jump in the river and go for a swim. Well, you can't can't do do that that. anymore. You can't do it. We're going to have fishless oceans by 2048. Gone. Yeah. and. You know, I, I know when, when I talk like this, I know people get irritated and I'm sorry you feel that way, but that gives you an opportunity just to learn about what we're doing and change it.
0: And I think this is an important message for people to hear and understand. And it's definitely something I know for me that I have questioned and thought about and um exploring myself to understand what's my impact, right? What's my impact here? And I, you have kids, I have kids and I, I, you know, I feel like this strong responsibility to make sure I leave them with, with a, with a planet, with an environment that they can, they can live in, that they can thrive, that they can have something, you know, and it does, it scares me that our, are you know, you know can we do something about this and i believe we can and we and we we have to start and we have to start now so i i i get that and i totally understand that
2: you know being a good dad like you my my youngest <laughs> daughter madison kept asking me to get a pig dad i want a pig and i kept saying no madison i'm not not getting you a pig we have two dogs and four cats, we're good. Then I made the mistake after her badgering me. I said, okay, Madison, if you find a mini pot pig, sure, we can have them. And I'm thinking, there's no way this kid's going to find a pig.
0: <laughs>
2: sure enough, within a week, she found this pig. And I'm like, oh, my God. But we brought Milo into our home. And I was already vegan at that point for maybe close to a year. But we brought this little pot pig in And I was watching him and I'm like, he is no different than our dogs and our our cats. And it really enhanced my my compassion. And I find it so odd that when people will say, I love animals and they're petting their dog and then they're eating a cow. It's like, well, no, you love some animals. And I, again, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's like discrimination you know, this religion's okay, but this one isn't. If you're this sexual orientation, that's okay. But if you're this sexual orientation, you're not good right. enough. And it's like we don't do that in anything anymore except food.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're making me you're making me think. So I I totally appreciate that and like that. I'm like, I'm gonna really have to think about this and my own choices. So I, I totally just, I, appreciate that.
2: I don't want anybody to ban your show for having uh, me on today, though. I don't want to do that. Don't
0: don't worry about that. You know, there has to be a place where we can have discussions and talk about these and all these different viewpoints. And I think that's OK. And I totally support that. And, you know, I, I think there's a quote, you know, we we bond on our similarities and we grow on our differences. And so I think it's important to be able to to see all these things. So thank you for talking about that. We're coming up on our time. And there is a question I like to ask every guest as we get to the end. You know, someone is out there. Maybe they're listening to this show and maybe they're in that dark place and you could tell them one thing, you had one moment to say one thing to them. What would you want them to know?
2: You are of value. You are worth saving and you can Overcome your current state and have a life that you never thought was possible. That's a
0: thank you, Todd. Thank you for saying that. All right. Where, if if people want to get a hold of you, they want to find out more information about Racing for Recovery and the work you're doing and your books, where can they find you? How do they get a hold of you?
2: Racingforrecovery.org we have a live stream support group meeting every thursday night at 6:30 p.m. eastern so wherever you are in the world for free you can join us on our youtube page or our facebook page and listen share your comments in our chat section you can do that if you look me up on instagram i'm sober ultraman I'm on LinkedIn, all the social media stuff, either under Todd Crandall or Sober Ultraman. Racing for Recovery has clinical licensed counseling services. We have our annual 5K run coming up on October 21st. Oh my God, books, movies, whatever you need to truly heal and find yourself, give Racing for Recovery an opportunity to serve you. We'd love to.
0: Awesome. And I will put all the links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. Todd, thank you for coming on, sharing your story, being so open, and just doing what you're doing to make the world a better place.
2: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation.
0: All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this Episode as much as I did recording it. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So check that out. And if you got a lot out of this episode, share it with a friend. And don't forget, click the subscribe button in whatever podcast app you use. And you can also follow us on Instagram at AddictedMindPodcast. So do that. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And I'll talk to you. On the next episode.
1: Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliché. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And trust us, they have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.